You've always had what it takes to make it happen. And we know the right tools can make it easier. At Strayer University, we're always thinking about new ways to set you up for success. That's why we give you a brand new laptop when you enroll in a bachelor's program. So you can start off on the right foot and keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Eligibility rules, restrictions, and exclusions apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef. Today's episode of Radical Personal Finance is sponsored by Bombfell, an easier way for men to get better clothes. Save $25 off your first order at bombfell.com slash RPF, B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash RPF. Bombfell, open and close. Today's question comes in from Aaron in California. Hi, Joshua. I love listening to your podcast. I know you've had a few episodes recently in reaction to current events. As a resident of the Bay Area, I hope you could do an episode in relation to wildfires. Well, Erica, I'll give it a crack. Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, the show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. Today, we will tackle this wildfire topic. I'll do the best that I can with the goal of helping you to preserve your life, your property, and the life and property of others. If you're anything like me, I would imagine that uh, you have watched with great interest uh, and uh, fascination at the events of the California wildfires of the past few days. Uh, Certainly extremely, extremely destructive just to watch the fires spreading all throughout parts of California. Many, many fires and the stories that are coming out are are just incredible. Uh, The videos that are coming out in our modern era are really, really uh, stunning. Uh, Really, really stunning. Uh, If you're interested, I've just shared a number of ones that I found on my Twitter feed, uh, twitter.com slash Joshua Sheets. You can go and find some curated links there to videos of people who've been interacting with these wildfires. So in the course of today's show, I'm going to try to give you some helpful ideas and suggestions that will be broadly applicable. Uh, there are very there are a lot of factors that would deeply affect your experience with a wildfire. Big difference between being part of a suburb versus being out in a rural area. But I think that there are some lessons that all of us could learn from uh, watching the news and reading uh, about some of the stories because In some ways, disasters are unique and wildfires are certainly unique. I'll get to that in a moment. But in some ways, disasters are common. There are many parallels between some of the things I've done shows on in past days, preparing for a flood or preparing for a hurricane. In many ways, these things have parallels. When you boil it all down in the end, basically you're trying to make sure that you ensure physical safety for lives. That's the most important thing, ensure physical safety for you and for your family, your loved ones, your pets, 
and then to ensure physical safety for property whenever possible. And so we can take mitigation plans and, and do our best to protect our property. There are different techniques that we can use to protect property. And then if we suffer the loss of property, then we want to make sure that we attend to the human needs, the human comforts, and that we attend to figuring out the best way to uh, get the property reestablished. I mean, that's basically the, the, the function and flow of it. And in that way, all disasters are common. Uh, most of the time, you're going to stay put right where you are unless the disaster will cause you uh, to be unsafe where you are. And then your pr number one goal is to get out. You want to make sure that you get out with the supplies, as many supplies as possible to sustain you and your family in as much comfort as possible and as much safety as possible. And then you want to protect your property to the greatest degree possible. Sometimes that means loading the property up and getting it out of the danger zone. Sometimes that just means putting things in place to protect it uh, from an inundation with a flood or a fire, et cetera. So uh, in that way, we can learn some lessons. And then I'll try to share some other things that are specific to uh, fires. Now, wildfires are very different or are different in many ways than home fires. I've done quite a bit of thinking and research around home fire safety. And I believe that it's an important uh, area of focus for us. Uh, there are very few disasters more devastating than a complete and total destructive fire. Whether that's a home fire, somebody dropped a cigarette in their bed and lit the bed, lit the house on fire or a cooking fire or something that spread, or whether it was the cause of a wildfire. You look at a house that has been burned down and uh, it's very easy for everything to be lost. And then whatever does remain uh, sometimes is just so inundated with smoke that it's destroyed. That's very common. Even if I think of the second most uh, catastrophic or the third most catastrophic uh, things, something like a tornado would be a very catastrophic natural disaster. But oftentimes you may have things in the basement that will survive the tornado or maybe a tornado or maybe you have things that are in a safe that will survive the tornado. Well, the fire doesn't discriminate. Uh, you get a long and hot fire and your fireproof safe doesn't do any good. When the fire is long enough and hot enough, it'll destroy everything inside of it, and no matter how good your safe is. If it is not – if there's no fire – if there are no firefighters coming who can put the fire out in an hour or two, uh, even the best of fireproof safes will uh, give way and, just, and the contents will be destroyed. Uh, even something like a flood. Floods are devastating because they can really ruin everything. But in many ways, if the first floor of your house floods, maybe there are still items on the second floor that are okay. Or maybe the flood uh, inundation comes in slowly enough that you can take your property and move it to higher ground or, or, or put it into plastic Tupperware containers. Of course, I'm being optimistic, but uh, just demonstrating the point that I can't think of anything more destructive than a fire. And then the speed with which a fire comes is especially destructive. If you're dealing with a home fire, something that just happened, uh, electrical short, electrical wire shorted out in the attic and caught the insulation on fire, you got to get out. And so it's a matter of we got to go. Uh, and these wildfires, one of the most awful things about the current wildfires has been the speed with which they have spread. Headline from Monday, October 16, 2017, Wall Street Journal uh, put it this way. Wildfire victims had only seconds to make choices. Subheadline, California's deadliest blazes advanced 100 yards every three seconds. That is incredible. I mean, you put yourself in a situation like that from end zone to end zone on a football field in three seconds. It, 
things are moving fast. Understatement of the day right there. <laughs> We're going to save the topic of home fires for another occasion. Today, talk about wildfires. And one quick caveat for you. I have no personal in, personal experience in dealing with wildfires. Uh, I've had an interest in it, especially since watching the devastation of the Fort McMurray wildfires last summer up in Canada. Uh, and so I've taken an interest in studying the sub- subject. But if I get anything wrong, is there, if there's anything that, that you observe from uh, those of you who are in fire country that I got wrong, please uh, correct me on it. But I think that I've got uh, – I wouldn't be recording the show if I didn't believe that I have some useful ideas and commentary to make that will help you uh, even due to my own personal lack of experience. Thing one, get out. Now we've talked about this and it's complicated in a wildfire. But one of the most valuable aspects of preparedness that you can make for yourself is make a plan to get out of the danger zone, to get out of the problem area. If you can simply physically not be where problems are, you'll have a much easier time uh, surviving personally and the care for your life and the life of those you love is the most important thing. And you'll have a much easier time recovering. It's very hard to recover from a disaster when you've gone through it. It's much easier to come in on the other side when and try to pick up the pieces than it is to make it through and then try to pick up the pieces. And so your goal is, if there's a problem, to get out early and not be one of those who films a video that becomes famous on YouTube. Now, this is complicated by uh, the way that wildland fires work. Uh, many p- people may live in the on the perimeter of a wildfire and uh, they may live in a state of uncertainty for many weeks. Wildfires uh, seem to have uh, – sometimes they have an ability to contain them, but then sometimes a quick change in the weather may make all of the difference. And so I'm not pretending that the simplistic advice of get out and be fine with being gone for all of fire season, it just doesn't work. But it is important that you pay careful attention and if you see danger or you see prospective danger, start making preparations to get out. When people are living in a zone of danger like a wildland or a wildfire all around uh, that may affect their community, different people have different responses. But the best response for you is at the very least to do planning and preparation. Now, it may not be appropriate for you to evacuate two weeks for two weeks. That may not be doable. That may not be appropriate. But at least you can go ahead and make preparation. One thing that all of us need to have prepared at all times is a an evacuation checklist. Well, we've thought we've thought through some of the biggest decisions in advance. Uh, for example, many people are flummoxed when faced with the need to evacuate from their home uh, to for their own safety. They don't know what to take with them. So it's good and important for us to have a list of what are we going to take with us. Uh, If you have family members, husband, wife, children, you want to make sure that that list of things to take with us when possible is divided by who can load this up, who can get these certain things so we don't miss something important. Uh, How are we going to get out? Do we have a car? Do we have a van? Do we have a trailer? How much stuff can we get out? Many people, if you're facing fire, you should seriously consider which items are going to be the most important if my house burns down and can I get them out of here physically? 
Uh, if you're leaving at the last moment and you've got a small car to get into, you're not going to get much out. But if you've got time, perhaps it'd be cons- worth it to load up uh, a couple of things that are larger but very valuable to you. Where will you go and what route will you take to get there? This needs to be thought of in advance. In a previous show, I uh, talked about uh, looking at a uh, map and choosing directions and place, a few places to go in all four cardinal directions. You can't choose which direction a fire is going to come from, although you can study in advance and, and understand the likely movement of the fire based upon the wind patterns and the changes in terrain. But you can't choose which direction it's certainly going to come from. And the wind may change. And so you need to have uh, de- potential destinations to go and stay with friends or families or at the very least to have a destination of a hotel in all four directions. So if you choose a hotel that's an hour and then maybe one that's two or three hours away from your house in all four directions, just choose a reasonable hotel and then have a goal of having that hotel's phone number written down so that you can quickly call and make a reservation. That's very helpful so that you have an idea and a destination. Uh, So in a situation like this, when someone has thought through in advance, uh, if I need to go, what do I need to take with me? Um, How are we going to gather these things together? Uh, How are we going to leave? And what are some of the routes and where will we go? If you've thought through some of these big questions, then you're not going to be caught so flat-footed when the disaster comes. And you can look at it and uh, make your assessments at the time time and, and, and not be quite so worried about it. You should maintain for yourself a checklist of the most important things. Uh, And ideally, these important things should always be kept in a central location where you know I can grab all of these things quickly. It's one thing to have a week or two weeks of warning on a fire. It's another thing to be awakened by a fireman banging on the door saying, you got to get out now. I recommend that you keep a, a either possibly a file system, a foldering system, uh, a bag of some kind handy uh, that you where you can quickly and easily make sure that you have everything that's important: your cash, uh, cash reserves, currency reserves, uh, checkbooks, banking information, credit cards, uh, the backups of your computer files and hard drives, uh, all of your proofs of insurance, your insurance paperwork, uh, your deeds to your house. Uh, anything to keep your uh, phones going and uh, other things like that. And then all the physical things that you need, prescription medications, everything loaded up, eyeglasses for those of you who wear eyeglasses. Uh, make sure that you have all of those things prepared and planned and that you have uh, – that you keep a list of them at the very least, a list so that you can gather them quickly. And don't waste the time of preparation. If there's a fire coming and you haven't done that, then go ahead and get those things together. Once you have those most essential things gathered, uh, if you're facing danger and you have advance warning, go ahead and get together the most important things, the mementos, the things that aren't going to sustain your life but that you'd be devastated to lose and pack them up. Pack the car. Much easier to pack the car and have it all loaded up and then have to unpack it than to have to hit the road without those important things and come back to a flattened house. Now, in just a moment, I'll talk about uh, planning for having to get out in a hurry when you've got uh, 30 or 60 or 90 seconds of warning, <laughs> when you got to go right away and what to do to be prepared for that. Before I do, though, brand new advertiser I want to introduce you to on today's show, which is Bombfell. Uh, Bombfell, uh, again, brand new here to Radical Personal Finance. Uh, and just a few weeks ago, I finished my first shipment with Bombfell. Uh, basically, what Bombfell works to do is to make it easier for men to connect with a personal stylist 
who will work with them to help them choose clothes that will be great for them. Personally, I think that the way we dress is very important in our personal life and in our business life. Uh, we can all say that it shouldn't matter what you wear. Well, that's all well and good to, to think that. The problem is it does matter what you wear. Over the years, I had a couple of people who uh, – a couple of men uh, who just struggling to uh, find and attract a wife and I said, you ready for some help? Let's start by taking you clothes shopping. Uh, it's important. Uh, same thing in the business world. The way that you dress is, is going to affect how you're perceived. Uh, but if you're anything like me, it's hard to always feel like, oh, okay, I'm going to go out and go shopping. And it's hard to know where to go to get things. Many of us don't really enjoy the in-store experience. Bombfell is a way to get better clothes and to get help with buying clothes. Uh, one of the things that makes Bombfell unique is that they assign to you a stylist. And you fill out on their website when you first sign up. You fill out things about your measurements, your weight, and all of that. Uh, and then a stylist will work with you and start to send you selections. They'll start to send you ideas. And then you choose which ideas you like, clothing ideas you like, and which you don't. Uh, then if you get the things that you like, then they ship it out to you. Um, no no charge for the shipping. They ship you the clothes. You get to try it all on. You have seven days to try it on in your home. And if you like the clothes, you keep them and you pay the price that's listed on the uh, on the price sheet. And if you don't like the clothes, you just ship them back. Uh, and you have, again, seven days to uh, wear the clothes without any charge. And shipping is free both ways. So there's very little risk involved if you don't like the clothes. When I went through the initial Bombfell sign-up process, I had to laugh <laughs> at some of the style suggestions. For example, they could send coats, and I just, I, I thought to myself, I don't wear coats, so I was able to not send, have them send me any coats. Or they had a, a choice to see if you liked graphic designer T-shirts. Well, I don't wear T-shirts, so <laughs> I was able to skip that. But I was able to choose the types of clothes that were right for me, and they sent me this really nice pair of uh, khaki shorts and a really nice blue shirt. The most surprising thing to me was they got my size right uh, the first time. And uh, I, I'm kind of a hard uh, hard guy to fit. Uh, I'm pretty large. But they did a great job, and I really enjoyed uh, the outfit that they sent me. So if you're interested in an easy and uh, valuable way to increase your wardrobe, um, I've negotiated for you a discount on your first purchase. Save you 25 bucks. Merry Christmas. You can send it to me, of course, at Patreon. Josh, no, uh, my website, <laughs> whatever it is, RadicalPersonalities.com slash patron if you ever want to. But I'm going to save you 25 bucks. Just go to bombfell.com slash RPF, B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash RPF. Now, let's talk about what to do if you got to get out in seconds. The only way to be prepared to evacuate your home, evacuate your home in uh, a few minutes is to have every is to have the most important things pre-packed. Um, most every member of your family should including your pets. Every member of your family should at all times have a bag or a suitcase, uh, a backpack, a duffel bag, a suitcase, uh, even a box of some kind that's packed with the basic things that would be necessary to sustain themselves, to sustain you and to sustain each of them for at least about three days. If you go on the federal disaster websites, you'll find lists at the FEMA disaster websites of what you should keep in a kit uh, of a 72-hour kit. Uh, and uh, commonly in the online world, they call it a bug out bag. If you got a bug out, if you got to get out in a moment. Now, the contents that you should put in such a kit will vary, uh, and the importance of the contents will vary depending on what type of emergency is forcing you to leave. For example, if you are fleeing from a wildfire, 
that is attacking your neighborhood, the most important content of your uh, 72-hour bag is going to be your backups of your electronic documents. I recommend to you that you make a digital backup and archive of all of your most important documents. You can do this easily if you have a scanner or have access to a scanner. Uh, many, pe many people have a scanner that they can use at work. That would be fine. Uh, or if you just simply use your phone and install a scanning app on your phone and scan the pictures of your most important documents. Uh, for example, birth certificates, marriage licenses, all of the insurance information, copies of your insurance uh, insurance policies, or at the very least, you should maintain uh, an Excel document, a spreadsheet that contains all of the numbers of the insurance policies, contact information, uh, etc. All of these items need to be prepared in advance. I recommend that you save the files, that you create a directory. You should create an Excel spreadsheet that has a listing of all of your property, serial numbers for anything that you own that has serial numbers on it. Uh, again, bank account information, login information. That file should be carefully encrypted. It should be stored in an encrypted vault on a memory stick of some kind. A SD card works well or a USB memory stick works well. And uh, you should take be very, very careful with that information. Uh, if I were you, I would recommend you use an encrypted file within an encrypted container within an encrypted drive. <laughs> You've got triple encryption. Now, if that's beyond your uh, skill level with uh, encryption protocols, then simplify that uh, and, and do something a little bit uh, easier for you. But that information needs to be protected. And on there, you should have photographs of all of your property, uh, especially anything that you're going to need to demonstrate for your, uh, for your insurance claims. So you should photograph your property. You should regularly uh, do a video tour of your home to demonstrate the value of the property that's in your home. It's not unusual for people to accumulate tens of thousands of dollars of furniture and other property. And you may need that when it comes time to filing your home insurance claim. You should keep on there current photos of your family members. And this file and this drive, there should be it should be duplicated. Uh, one should be stored with you. One should be stored in an off-site location, in a secure location, but completely off-site, whether that is something that you have access to, for example, a safety deposit box that you maintain, or whether that's in somebody else's safety deposit box or somebody else uh, that uh, maybe somebody else in their personal safe, uh, it should be stored in, a, in another location as well in case you can't get out or you can't get it out. But that should be in your bag. That will have applicability long, long in many things more than just uh, in a fire, but it will come into place in a fire. For example, one thing that I recommend is that you maintain in there relatively current photos of – uh, every member of your family uh, in case that photo needed to be put on a missing persons poster. One of the major challenges right now in California is there are, in my uh, memory, over 40 people confirmed dead, but there are about 150-ish people who are missing right now. And hopefully most of those people will show up, but uh, it's valuable to have a, a photo that can be distributed carefully. And it's nice to have one that is just this very simple photo of your children uh, in case they were ever missing. And it's nice to have that available to you. So very quickly, you can pass that along to the authorities who will then distribute it to help you to get your children back. It takes time to go through and put these things together. Uh, but once you've done it, 
for the most part, you've got it. And so here is a list of things that I recommend that you consider and make sure that you have uh, for the future. So information such as social security cards, copies of your driver's licenses, birth certificates, copies of your passports, uh, marriage certificates, and of course, here I'm talking about both physical copies ready to go in a moment's notice, but also digital backups in case your physical copies are burned up. Uh, records on all of your financial accounts, all of your bank, investment, credit cards, loan accounts, uh, all of the information on uh, how to access those accounts. Uh, a backup of your password database should be included there. Phone numbers and account numbers for all of your accounts. Health records, very important and valuable to have. So whether that's immunization records or information on your allergies, uh, dietary restrictions, current medications, or past medical and surgical treatments, that's particularly valuable. Uh, pet information, uh, descriptions of your pet, photos of your pets, contact information for your vet, any medical notes or medications that they may be on, listings of all of your property, information on your car, your home, uh, any kind of home inventory items, photos, a video tour is also excellent, and valuation estimates can be val useful as well. Insurance documents, all of the insurance documents, and especially having those things with you because sometimes if your home's burned down, you're going to be filing insurance claims from a hotel room. Copies of your will and medical wills and medical directives, and then any other valuable things like photographs uh, or other things that can be digitized. In today's world where storage has become so cheap, there's no reason not to digitize all of your important and valuable photos and keep those on a secured, uh, uh, on a secured computer drive in an offsite location backed up. So if you got to get out quick, grab your bags, get in the car and go. Now, a couple things that are important. Hopefully your car needs to work. And this is one of the reasons why, uh, as with anything, we need to give good attention to our vehicles, make sure they're in good working order. Nothing like a good disaster movie when the car is sitting there going, ah, 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 and not starting. <laughs> Dante's Peak was one of my favorite year, favorites years ago. And I think there was a scene like that in there. The mountain is blowing up. Got to get off the volcano mountain. And, of course, the cars don't want to start when they need to. So keep the car going. Uh, and make sure there's always gas in the car. That's one of the reasons why I recommend make it a habit to keep the car at least always a third or half full and make sure that you have enough gas in the car in case you ever need to go. One interesting story, let me read to you now from the uh, uh, Wall Street Journal article, Wildfire Victims Had Only Seconds to Make Choices. Here, This was the introduction, uh, this was the lead to the story. Ukiah, California, hurtling down a mile-long dirt driveway, the wildfire closing in, Eli Monroe pulled to a stop at a crossroads. He sat for a moment with his girlfriend, his parents in the car behind them, deciding which way to turn on Tomkey Road. The fastest way out was to the right, toward Route 101, a freeway they had hoped would take them to safety. Flames licked the roadsides in that direction. A left turn would lead to creeks and backcountry dirt roads they hadn't traveled in months, a route that carried the risk of a death trap. They went left. As they passed a few cars speeding the opposite direct way, Mr. Monroe, 34 years old, recalled thinking, why are we the only ones going this direction? Are we digging our own grave? Now, dropping down in the story, we read this about Mr. Monroe. Mr. Monroe and his family got their warning call, more on that in a moment, at 12.48 a.m. Monday and began alerting neighbors. Less than 45 minutes later, they were in their cars, deciding if he should turn left toward the dirt road through the woods. He thought he could recall the way from past trips to the Eel River during summers growing up there. 
Once they hit the dirt road, the fire began to recede. A tire on Mr. Monroe's mom's car blew, blew out after the last creek crossing, but by then they were safe. On Wednesday, they learned their home and most of the others around them off Tom Key Road were destroyed. So one of the most important things, you need to keep your vehicle in good working order so that it can get you out of there when you need to. You need to have the equipment, the, the fuel to get you there. But then it's important to have those routes and that route information planned. One of the things that has made combating these fire uh, or, or getting people notification warnings uh, in this particular wildfire uh, Incidents, these incidents in California has been that the cell phone service has not been working reliably. Uh, some of the cell phone towers have been burned, and so the cell phone coverage has been fairly spotty. This has made it difficult to issue evacuation alerts for the authorities in some cases. It's resulted in some people not getting the alert. But this can be a real problem if you depend only on your cell phone for the knowledge of where to go and how to get out. And frankly, most of us do. We're so accustomed now to having our GPS on our cell phone that many of us don't maintain maps in our cars. Many of us don't have external GPS units. And many of us don't pay as much attention as we probably should to knowing how to navigate in, around our own houses. Uh, so that can be a major problem. I recommend that you always keep a GPS unit in your car that's not connected to the cell phone grid. You can buy a GPS unit today for uh, a brand new one from Garmin or TomTom or whomever for 100 bucks for a cheap one. Uh, you could probably find a used one for less. When the, and the great thing is those types of GPSs don't require the cell phone network to work like our phones do. Uh, and so if you all of a sudden have the normal way that you would go out to the right, but it looks like there's fire there and you've got to go take the back roads, back roads to the left – uh, that GPS may very well get you out. Uh, and I think even in navigating, some of the videos of people trying to navigate through through the actual fire, uh, people who couldn't even uh, – who couldn't drive because uh, they couldn't see, I think even there a GPS unit would be helpful. Uh, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work in the middle of the fire. I know for me, when I'm driving in foggy conditions, I rely upon the GPS as a secondary safety device to help me make sure I'm anticipating the curves that are coming up in the road and it helps me to see better. Another thing, of course, is maps, having maps of your area, uh, state maps and local maps, so that if you need to get out on back roads that you're not used to driving all the time, that you know the way out and you can work your way out on a map. One more comment, two more comments on evacuations. One is uh, with regard to when to go. One of the interesting controversies that it's emer that's emerging from this current fire situation is the notification system. And it's important that if there is a notification system in your area that you put yourself on it, whether that's being a part of the official local emergency preparedness app or getting on the reverse 911 phone system or being able to get those alerts, sign up for the alerts so you make sure that you have the information that you need. In an emergency, information is crucial. And uh, so you should have multiple ways of getting information. Yes, the local Facebook group or yes, the local fire page is going to be very valuable. But make sure that you also have a radio that's not dependent upon the cell phone network. Make sure that you're also signed up for the text alerts, which may come through when your data access isn't working on your phone. So make sure that you have the information. But listen to it and make your own decision. You've got to always filter information from government officials through the by recognizing the fact that they are responsible for the masses. The emergency managers there in 
I forget which county it was, in California, here, Sonoma County. Uh, let me read from the Wall Street Journal article. Hannah Yuser, a spokeswoman for Sonoma County, said officials decided not to send a wireless emergency alert, which would have gone to every cell phone in the area. Quote, emergency managers noted potential risks of these types of alerts causing clogged roads and unnecessary panic, making it hard for those who were in the most significant danger to get out safely. Ms. User said, we chose the, chose the best tools available to ensure residents who were in the most significant danger had the safest path possible to get out. Officials said they planned to analyze the decision after the fires were over. For now, they said they are focused on protecting people from further harm. Government officials always have to think in terms of the masses. That's usually not going to be good for you because you're not concerned with the masses. You're concerned with you and you're concerned with those that are close to you. You've got to always do what's right for you and make sure to care for yourself. And you've got to do it a little bit out of sync with the masses in order for things to work properly. Here in Florida, we're coming to the end of hurricane season. Right now, I can go down and I can get all the plywood that I want to get with no rationing. I can get all the bottled water that I want to get with no rationing. I can get as many generators as I want. I can fill up as many gas cans at the gas station as I want. I can get all the canned food. I can load up my house with all the materials that I need to get me through a hurricane. And there's no problem. I'm not causing any problems for anyone else, and they're not causing any problems for me. But as soon as there's a hurricane that's headed our way, the rationing starts, the supplies dry up, because the masses start to move in that direction. Don't be part of the masses. If there's a fire that's threatening and emergencies officials are thinking about notifications, they don't want to clog the roads all of a sudden because then they'll get accused of saying, hey, you clogged the roads and now 300 people died because the roads were clogged. That's a valid concern that they have to face. But that's not your concern. So you get out. Now let's talk about some equipment that's unique to fires. I think it's important that you prepare for a fire evacuation. Now, one simple way to do this, or a few pieces of equipment that are important. In your bug out bag, in your 72-hour kit, you should always have something like leather gloves. Uh, when fires start to come, heat starts to occur. And this is the same in house fires, one thing in a house fire. You should keep in your home fire emergency kit uh, uh, thick leather gloves that would help you be able to get out of the house if your home was on fire with just you, a normal house fire, not even a wildland fire. Uh, and those should be in your fire kits. One of the videos that I watched from California had uh, was a cell phone video of two young men who were trying to get out of the, the fire, and one of them had to get out to open uh, a gate, and uh, he couldn't open the gate, uh, or he opened the gate, but he burned his hands because the metal was so hot. So gloves would have protected his hands. And this should be standard part of your earthquake kit uh, if you live in California. Uh, obviously, you face a major risks, uh, and any anywhere where earthquakes are, earthquakes are likely, you face a major risk of an earthquake. And if there's an earthquake and there's a building collapse around you, you want to make sure that you have gloves available to you in your emergency kit so that you can dig your way out or possibly dig to save a family member, something like that. So gloves are very valuable. Uh, with regard to fire safety, one of the things that I would uh, think is a very valuable accessory to have is one of those smoke hoods. 
or air hoods that is commonly sold for escape from house fire. Uh, there are good ones on the market that are will last you for about an hour of use. Uh, in a wildfire, a wildfire sucks up all the oxygen and it kills people. Just if you're even in the middle of it, you may not burn your flesh, but it'll, it can destroy your lungs and it can kill you uh, just from <laughs> there not being any air to breathe. In the same video with the two young men, if you're interested in seeing it, go to my Twitter page, twitter.com slash Joshua Sheets, and you can find it and watch it on YouTube. The same video, uh, the guy got out of the car and he couldn't breathe. And got back in the car, he said, I can't get out again because I can't breathe. There was no air out of the car for him to breathe. And so you can have uh, some of those smoke hoods uh, available to you. Those can save your life in a house fire, allow you to get out without uh, experiencing smoke inhalation, and they can save your life in a wildfire. Hopefully those ideas, although I'm sure they're incomplete, are helpful to help you plan to protect life, which is the most important thing. Now, what about protecting property? Uh, here, uh, there are things that you can do long in advance and things that you can do a little bit in advance. Uh, I'm sure that if you live in wildland fire uh, area, you receive information and advice on preparing your home for fire. And of course, whether or not this will be effective obviously depends. The fires that have been going through some of the neighborhoods uh, essentially look like they're just going house to house. And if you've chosen to situate your house in a subdivision where you're very close to your neighbor's houses, well, if your neighbor's houses catch on fire, very likely it's going to catch your house on fire. They're just simply that close. That's different than being out in a rural area. But there are a lot of things that can be done to fight fire. Years ago, I first became interested in permaculture design, and one of the things that most interested me was started reading publications by Bill Mollison, who was a was one of the founders of, uh, of what is called permaculture, uh, which is a design strategy for basically designing life intelligently, life systems, life-supporting systems intelligently. And I was fascinated to read and to listen to some of his stuff on um, fire prevention. And I, I had never thought, not being from the country and being from Florida, I'd never thought about designing a property in order to be protected from fire. But I've become convinced that it's very doable to actually think about how you situate your house and think about these things in order to limit the risk. And if I ever were to develop a property where I had the space to do it, I would try to think, take into account all of these things and design the property to be protected from fire. One of the things that interested me after the Fort McMurray wildfires last summer, I started researching why some people would say, I'll stay behind. And even knowledgeable people would say, I'll stay behind and fight the fire. And I, not having been through a wildland fire, hadn't understood how they spread. But since then, I've learned that fires, wildland fires, are very fightable, uh, at least under appropriate conditions. Many times, the way that they spread is through throwing embers out. And if you can just fight the small fires that can spring up, uh, you can probably protect a house. Uh, the firefighters themselves will often uh, put themselves in a situation where they can protect houses. One of the things that wildland firefighters uh, do is they protect houses. So let's talk about planning. First, the things that you do will be helpful to physically protect your house, but the things that you do will also be helpful to encourage and invite other people, namely firefighters, to protect your house. One thing I learned in researching it a year ago is that firefighters, wildland firefighters, have guidance on the houses that they can protect, and it's based upon how well the house is squared away. So 
If there's a fire and the firefighters are in a safe enough zone and there are structures, the fire team will put firefighters at the house or on the property to try to fight any small fires that may be started. And they'll often do it with good success. But there are certain risk factors that they look for. I looked up uh, when researching it. I looked up the what's called the Incident Response Pocket Guide, uh, the IRPG, which is passed out by the Forest Service to wildland firefighters. And in the very beginning of it, they give the firefighters the guidance to know whether or not they can uh, decide that it's good for them to go ahead and defend a structure. And here are some of the things that will help them to defend a, a structure if, if these things are not there, that they'll, uh, that they'll evaluate. They'll evaluate the access. So reading from the Incident Response Pocket Guide, it says if there are narrow roads, unknown bridge limits, and septic tank locations, that makes it hard for them to get their trucks and equipment in. So make sure that your home has good access if possible. If there are ornamental plants and combustible debris that are sited next to the structure, that will discourage them because they know how much harder it is. But if you don't have ornamental plants and combustible debris next to the structure, they'll be willing to put resources into protecting and defending your home. Wooden siding and or wooden roof materials, that's a no-no. So uh, go with the fire safe or fireproof uh, uh, siding materials. If the house has open vents, eaves, decks, or other ember traps, that's a hazard. And so that'll diminish their willingness to, and ability to stay and fight the fire. If the house has fuel tanks or hazardous materials around or power lines or limited water sources, those are all things that will, that will uh, discourage a firefighter from staying on and uh, protecting the, the house simply because they know that the job is is probably just too hard and they're not going to be able to do it. But if those things are squared away, if your fire uh, scaping and your fireproofing has been done in advance and that's scared, squared away, then even just the firefighters themselves will be able to justify spending more uh, resources on your property. That may help your property to be one that is not burned. I want to wrap up uh, this show, the third part of this show here, with some information and advice from a couple of sources. Most of this is coming from firewise.org, uh, an organization, Firewise USA, Residents Reducing Wildfire Risks by the NFPA, which I bet stands for the National Fire um, Prevention Association, although I need to not con confirm that. But these are things that are simple. Go on firewise.org and you'll find all kinds of information uh, and advice directly from the uh, those who, <laughs> who know and want to keep your house from burning. But for example, for their homeowner checklist, this is important. Uh, reading from their homeowner checklist, wildfires don't have to destroy everything in their path. Science and research have proven that using FireWise principles in your landscaping can minimize damage and prevent losses. The work you do today can make a difference. Follow these simple action steps now and throughout the year to prepare and help reduce the risk of your home and property becoming fuel for a wildfire. Clear needles, leaves, and other debris from the roof, gutters, eaves, porches, and decks. This reduces the chance of embers igniting your home. To reduce ember penetration, replace or repair loose or missing roof shingles or tiles and caulk any gaps or openings on roof edges. Cover exterior attic vents and enclose under eave and soffit vents with metal wire mesh no larger than 1 8 inch to prevent embers from entering the home. Remove items stored under decks or porches. Replace vegetation in these areas with rock or gravel. Replace mulch with hardscaping, including rock, gravel, or stone. If it can catch fire... Don't let it touch your house, deck, or porch. 
Remove flammable items within 30 feet of all structures, including firewood piles, portable propane tanks, and dry and dead vegetation. Dry grass and shrubs are fuel for wildfire, so keep your lawn hydrated and maintained. If it is brown, trim it to reduce fire intensity, and don't let debris and lawn cuttings linger. Dispose of these items quickly to reduce fuel for fire. Fire can spread to treetops. If you have tall trees on your property, prune low-hanging branches 6 to 10 feet from the ground. And for smaller trees, prune low-hanging branches to no more than a third of the tree's height. Remove tall grasses, vines, and shrubs from under trees. Here are a few other suggestions for when there's actually a fire threatening from FireWise. And then give you information of actually what to do during a fire. So what to do during watches or warnings of high fire danger. From FireWise, make sure there's at least a 72-hour supply of important medications in your go bag. Know which personal items, pictures, documents, etc. have been prioritized to take if time permits when evacuation is necessary. Remove deck or patio furniture, cushions, and doormats to prevent ember ignitions. Remove portable propane tanks from the deck or patio. Know how to turn off the gas to the home. Place a ladder against the house for fire department use. Have your garden hoses connected for fire department use. Make sure windows, doors, and garage doors are closed. Make sure windows are closed on vehicles that will remain at the residence while you're evacuated. And then I want to close by reading a couple of pages from a book called Firescaping, Creating Fire-Resistant Landscapes, Gardens, and Properties in California's Diverse Environments. This is by an author named Douglas Kent. Uh, Eight bucks on Amazon. Uh, Ten left in stock. Order soon. (laughs) Again, it's called Firescaping. But here is... uh, a few pages from uh, his information on what to actually do during a fire. It is common to see individuals standing with a hose, watering their garden or roof during a wildfire. There are, however, many other chores that precede watering with a hose. In some cases, watering a roof is a poor use of time. Below are prioritized tasks for anyone defending their home against a wildfire. In most situations... Firefighters will ask everyone to leave the fire area. If they ask, do not hesitate to go. Protect yourself and others. Safely get all members and pets out of the house and away from the fire area. Get dressed for the fire. Put on wool or cotton pants, a long sleeve shirt, and a jacket. Also, grab a pair of gloves, a handkerchief, and goggles for added protection. Move and park cars off driveways and roadways so emergency vehicles can get by. Pack all irreplaceable items, such as photos, art, address books, bonds, stocks, birth certificates, pets, and the stuff you'll need for a couple days away from the home, such as medications, toiletries, and a change of clothes. Place all of this in the car. Make sure to roll all the windows up. Leave the doors unlocked and the keys in the ignition. Even if the roads become unusable, a car is a safe place for irreplaceable items. Fill as many containers as possible with drinking water. You'll need several bottles of water to quench your thirst and to keep the handkerchief around your face moist. Pack valuables such as jewelry and clothes in weighted plastic bags and toss them into a pool or pond. Protect the inside of a home. Turn off the gas at the line leading to the house. Shut all doors and windows inside a house. Remove flammable drapes from windows. Close Venetian blinds and other non-flammable window coverings. Close storm shutters. Close all attic basement, and eave vents. Fill sinks and bathtubs with water. Place towels or rugs next to these indoor water reserves. The water reserves and towels can be used to extinguish flames within a structure. Turn on all the lights in a house. A smoke-filled house is difficult to see and navigate in. 
Turn off fans and cooling systems. Leave all doors unlocked. In the fires of 2003, one fireman was seriously injured and another died trying to get into a house that was locked. Protect your pets. There are three options for pets during a wildfire. Flee with the owner, stay in a safe place while the owner fights the fire, or be stranded with no help. Steps can be taken to increase the chances of survival in all three circumstances. Naturally, it is always safer for the owner and pet to flee a fire. Make sure the animal has an identification tag. Many emergency shelters refuse to take pets. It is important to know where you can safely drop yours off. A network of family, friends, and some hotels should be prearranged. If you decide to fight the fire, place the pet in a familiar, safe, and secure spot, such as a car. Carry a photo of your pet for possible identification reasons. Grab a week's worth of food and medicine. If for any reason you have to flee without taking your pet, then uncage or unleash it. Protect the outside of a home. Remove all combustible items from under and around the house. Examples include stored newspapers, firewood, furniture, and plants that have grown up and under a house. Place a ladder against the side of the house, creating easy access to the roof. Sweep and clean the roof of all ignitable material. Clean obstacles such as patio furniture from around the house and put them inside the house or out in the yard. Hook up hoses to every water faucet around the house. Attach an adjustable nozzle at the end of each hose. Place shovels, rakes, and hose in a visible place. Place large, watertight cans and buckets around the house, then fill them with water. Place towels and rugs next to the water buckets. If for some reason water becomes unavailable, these wet towels will help beat out small sparks and flames. Water combustible roofs now. To make the most of water's limited supply, stand below the roof and shoot water up into it. Unlike watering the roof from above, watering from below gets the water into the small cracks and crevices where sparks are likely to get caught without, without the excess water runoff. With regard to any other suggestions, including property design suggestions, that is beyond my expertise. All I can do is point you in the right direction. If you are interested in the subject to protect your property, uh, then there are resources available from people who are competent in that area to advise you. From my limited reading, I am convinced that it is very possible uh, to design a property to be uh, protected from fire and that it's something that, uh, that really we should do. Uh, I get very annoyed when we just do stupid stuff again and again and again and again and we don't think about designing things intelligently and then disasters come and they have massive price tags and we just say, oh, let's just do the same thing again and not apply a little bit of intelligent design to our circumstances. So let's not be those who perpetuate that, that cycle. Let's be those who work to properly protect our, our, um, uh, protect our things, our own stuff with good intelligent design. Finally, with regard to financial resources, just be thankful and hopefully uh, just hope that your house is not an overly large portion of your investment portfolio. It's important that your home not be the only financial asset that you have. It can be very risky to have a house account for a very large percentage of your net worth. If a fire comes through and destroys your house, it destroys it. It's far more risky than owning stock in hundreds and hundreds of companies that are dispersed in many industries all around the world. Uh, the stock is far less risky than having all of your money tied up in your personal house. Uh, so that's important. It's also important that you make sure that you don't put yourself in a situation where your valuable physical property would all be destroyed. 
if your home were destroyed. That's bad diversification strategy. That's bad planning. Don't keep all of your valuable physical personal property in your home. Diversify it. Keep your value, some of your valuable physical property in a safety deposit box or in a secondary backup location of some kind. Don't keep it all at home. My final comment is on the topic of insurance. Insurance is beyond uh, – California property insurance is out of my area of expertise and so I don't want to make any mistakes to comment on it much. Uh, just to know that I know that California does have unique risks and so those risks are reflected in California uh, property insurance policies. If any of you listening are a California uh, property insurance expert and can – who would like to come on and talk about uh, good insurance strategies for wildfire planning, I'd be happy to do that. That would be great. Uh, but I will read to you a column from the Los Angeles Times titled, As California Burns, Here's What You Need to Know About Fire Insurance. And I will encourage you to do a review with your property insurance agent uh, when it's time and to carefully review these things in advance. Too late for the California homeowners to do anything with their insurance, home insurance, but it's not too late for you. So let me read you this column from the Los Angeles Times that gives some useful suggestions and that will close us out today. Most uh, author here is David Lazarus. Most homeowners insurance policies cover fire damage, but heads up, that's not the whole story. If you live in a high-risk area such as near a canyon, you may need to pay more for additional coverage. And if a fire has devastated whole communities, such as what we're seeing now in Northern California, your home replacement dollars could be stretched thin as costs soar for everything from materials to labor. All those commercials about insurance companies offering peace of mind when things like this happen, those are just ads, said Amy Bach, executive director of United Policyholders, a San Francisco-based advocacy group. In reality, insurance policies are written by teams of lawyers, and it can be rough for homeowners, she said. Most homeowners insurance covers both your home and all property within. More than 90% of homeowners buy coverage, according to recent estimates, and as many as 40% of renters purchase insurance for their belongings. After the recent drought turned California into a huge pile of kindling, insurers racked up billions of dollars in in fire-related claims. Some, such as Allstate, stopped writing new policies. Others, such as Farmers and State Farm, became choosier about homes they'd cover. The insurance industry says it's ready to handle claims from the fires now raging statewide. Insurers will 100% be there for homeowners, said Nicole Ganley, a spokeswoman for the Western region of the Property Casualty Insurers Association of America, a trade group. Insurers are moving very quickly to help policyholders. Be that as it may, coverage may not always be easy to obtain. Homeowners in high-risk areas who can't find coverage in the open market may have to turn to a state-sponsored program called the California FAIR Plan. FAIR covers up to $1.5 million for a structure and its contents, which in some cases won't be enough for full replacement of a lost home and property. If there's one takeaway from the blazes now causing widespread damage in the Golden State, it's for homeowners and renters to make sure their coverage is up to date and that nothing sneaky has made its way into your policy. Narbe Shervanian, a Glendale lawyer who handles fire-related claims, said it's not unheard of for an insurer to change the terms of a policy during the renewal process. It might be disclosed, he said, but let's be honest, nobody really reads all this stuff. As a result, you may find that you're shouldering more of the risk than you originally thought. Shervanian also warned of seemingly arbitrary responses to fire claims. If his structure burns down, then all legitimate insurance claims will be honored. 
But what if there's a wildfire nearby and your home is impacted by smoke and ash? Will your homeowner's coverage pay for the cleanup? We're seeing issues with smoke and ash damaging homes and insurance companies playing games, Shervanian said. One year they do one thing, one year they do something else. It's very important as the economy recovers from the Great Recession to be mindful of rising property values. Yes, that's great from a maybe-I'll-sell perspective. From a fire perspective, it can be a whole other thing. Replacement costs you locked in for your insurance policy may no longer reflect current conditions, meaning you may have to reach into your own pocket to make yourself whole. Also, widespread fire damage will be felt in the market in the form of rising costs for materials such as wood and concrete and almost certainly higher labor costs as contractors take advantage of supply and demand situations. A smart idea is to pay a little extra for what's known as an extended replacement cost endorsement. This is basically additional coverage intended to accommodate at least a portion of any unexpected cost increases. You can also purchase additional coverage for code upgrades. For example, the rules might have changed for electrical systems or insulation since your house was built. Code upgrade insurance will protect you from so-called betterments that your basic policy might not address. Insurance companies have had enough experience with fires in California to do a good job of resolving claims, said Bach at United Policyholders. But that's still not always the case. I strongly advise homeowners and renters to take their smartphones and walk around their homes shooting a video of their belongings. This can provide helpful evidence if an insurer disputes, say, that you owned a state-of-the-art home theater setup. If you have to evacuate, save all receipts. Many homeowner policies include so-called AL coverage, as in additional living expenses, ALE, which will include costs such as hotel rooms, food, and rentals. So there are some useful suggestions from a Los Angeles Time column from a couple of days ago. I've thrown a uh, a lot of information at you. Um, I did my best to make it useful to you, but I definitely threw a lot of information at you with a little bit of repetition. I guess my closing thoughts that I'd like to leave you with are these. The... Thinking about any... Each, each type of event has some kind of um, commonality. Uh, and it's important to consider what those commonalities are. Uh, for example, when it comes to – and I think all of us should think through uh, what are our own most likely personal disasters that we might face. For me, what I consider to be one of the most likely personal disasters would be uh, a home fire, uh, just be a simple home fire catches my house on fire and I got to get out. And so in one way, that's exactly the, – that's the, that's the thing that I need to think through and plan for. But a hurricane has a very similar risk profile in terms of I have more warning, but I still need to do similar types of things. I still need to be able to get out. And another likely disaster would be something like a burglary. Somebody breaks in and steals things from my house that are important to me. Well, some things I do are common among all of these things. If I have my important insurance and financial paperwork backed up on secure drives that are outside of the house that are in secure locations, then no matter whether that's a home fire, a hurricane, or a burglary, burglary I am, uh, I'm helped by all of those things. Or another uh, likely disaster that I think is is worth planning for is as the parent of small children, uh, I am concerned about the abduction of my children. Well, how do you plan for that? One thing you do is you take a photograph of your children and make sure that you have a photograph in case your child is abducted uh, or just simply goes missing. We don't have to put the criminal element on it. They just go missing and they wander off. Then to make sure that I have a photograph and that photograph is readily available to be passed along to emergency crews who are helping me to search for my child. 
I need the same exact thing for a fire. So when you start thinking through these scenarios, think them through, and what you find is they are there are common steps that are common in all of them. Uh, and as you start to do it, you'll start to realize that the things you do to prepare for one scenario are very similar to the things you do to prepare for another scenario. Um, the uh, With hurricane planning, you don't put big trees next to your house, just like with fire planning. Uh, with hurricane planning, you build a strong metal roof, just like fire planning. Uh, I'm out of music. I'm going to be done here. But uh, it's a hope that you see. That's why I wanted to address this. I hope that you see that as you start to think through these things, uh, it's not insurance that solves the problem. Insurance has a place. But insurance is only one hammer in your toolbox. And it's not the best hammer because when you're trying to escape from the wildfire, it doesn't give you a whole lot of comfort to know that your home insurance is paid up. You're trying to protect life. The home insurance policy comes in after the fact. Run out of music. I just close with this. If this has been useful for you, if this is, uh, information has been helpful, and you'd like to support the work that I'm doing, please come by radicalpersonalfinance.com slash patron. Sign up as a supporting patron, radicalpersonalfinance.com slash patron. And don't forget to go to bombfell.com slash RPF. Again, B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash RPF. This show is part of the Radical Life Media Network of podcasts and resources. Find out more at RadicalLifeMedia.com.